welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab them. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. If you guys want to make your way up, I've got three friends, uh, Peter, Mike, and Joel, who are going to come up and share just briefly. When we moved into this space, I thought, man, it would be really cool if we had some of our Uh, We have some resident potters who work with clay, you know, potters. And uh, I thought, it would be awesome to have these guys uh, make uh, the communion dishes and the baptismal font that we will be using in this space. And so I commissioned these folks to do that. So uh, they're just going to share briefly uh, which pots are theirs and kind of uh, the uniqueness of each of them and why, why they enjoyed or wanted to be a part of this little project. So Joel, take it away. Thanks, bud. Uh, Hi, thanks. Um... I made those ones. <laughs> Here they are. Um, I think for me, something about the process of pottery is really, uh, it's a really interesting metaphor for um, kind of the Christian walk or process. It's kind of like, you know, you kind of start with this, uh, you basically start with dirt and then through this long process of like making and then firing, it kind of turns into something like beautiful and useful and something with value. Um, and I find that to be really evocative, I guess, or a really interesting situation. Um, and I really love the idea of especially making communion sets because that, again, is something where, you know, there's a lot of people who believe that, like, in the... in in the sacrament of communion or the Eucharist, it's like this mundane thing, bread and wine is like literally turning into God. Um, so something about that transformation is really cool to me and interesting. I don't know. Thanks, Joel. Hi, I'm Peter, um, and I made these goblets and bread plate. Um, and for me, I've, I've always been a maker. I've always needed to, to make things with my hands and um, through high school and college I really found the, a love in the process of clay um, and just uh, the freedom that it, it gives me to make and then also um, when I'm making it, it's, I try to be really okay with um, letting what happens happens and, and not needing to control everything down to every small detail and let imperfections show and, and be um, important in, in the final process or pro- final product. Um, and I really wanted to make these, or I was really excited when Micah asked me to make a, a communion set for Awaken because um, it's kind of a thank you to this church. Um, because for me, uh, it wasn't long ago that I didn't think that I would ever be... Um, in a church again or, or feel comfortable coming to church and over the last about a year coming to Awaken has been um, really comforting and really a good thing for me. So thank you. Thanks, Peter. All right. Uh, my name's Mike Vanks. I do have pots over here. They're just kind of hiding. But uh, yeah, I thought one of the first things that came to mind when Micah asked me to uh, make pots for Awaken I thought, hey, cool, I've never made goblets, I've never really made a tray, so this will be a fun little project for me. And uh, it was really actually very interesting because when you throw, or when I threw my goblets, I threw this bottom chunk first, and it was actually upside down on the wheel, 
then I uh, cut that off and set it aside to dry, and then I threw the actual dish portion and assembled those later on. So it was really fun to uh, throw different things, but I'd say probably the main reason why I was excited to do this for Awaken was because, uh, like Peter Paul, there's a time where I was like, eh, I don't really feel all that great about church right now. And then uh, with the encouragement of Andy Berglund, my girlfriend, and uh, Andrew Bittner that plays the keys sometimes up here, I started going to Awaken and realized, you know, this is a great place. It's a great community. And I just, I really love it here. I love this church and this community. And so being able to uh, be a part of any process really with Awaken was something I'm very thankful for. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy the pots. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Unassuming fellows that usually just hang out in the back. You probably, probably maybe, maybe didn't even know they were there. Uh, but uh, I'm so, so grateful. So when you come up today and receive communion, know that both, well, all three, Peter, Mike, and um, Joel, are giving you a gift. So it's pretty cool. Hebrews chapter 6, if you would stand, we'll read starting in verse 9. It says this. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And uh, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may greatly be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Pray with me. God, as we turn to your scriptures today, trusting that they are alive and active and that you have spoken through them and continue to speak through them, we submit our hearts and ourselves as much as we can to this process of being enlightened and being taught by and encouraged by, invited by your spirit to be more and more and more like the people you have made us to be, that Jesus and the power of the Spirit enables us to be. So we pray these things in your name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Um, I I should just say this before we jump in, uh, because I usually forget. If at any point uh, during the gathering, we have a prayer space over here, and if you want to use that, you're welcome to. Uh, There's Sharpies you can write on the wall, any prayers you have, and there are people always available after the gathering for prayer, if you would like that. So, Um, I love to fish. Many of you know this. I have had a couple of different boats in my day. Uh, The first boat I ever got was an 11-foot Boston whaler. 
if you know anything, uh, if you've ever seen a yacht like on the St. Croix River or whatever, these are usually the boats that are craned up behind these gigantic boats. Not an inflatable, it's actually a fiberglass boat, but it was an 11-footer. Very small, uh, very um, petite, as it were. And uh, so I thought it was a great idea to take this boat out on Mille Lacs. And if you know anything about Mille Lacs, you know that it's very large and wind and waves get very big. And so I take the, the whaler out onto Mille Lacs and I had found, there's a couple of different reefs uh, out on Mille Lacs. Reefs are like where the bottom comes up and fish usually hang out there. One of them is called the Graveyard. I thought it would be a great idea to take my 11-foot whaler out on the graveyard in Mille Lacs, you know. Uh, so I'm out there on the graveyard, I'm fishing, I, I, and I put my anchor down. Uh, I drop the anchor, and I, re- I, I say, you know, like, oh, there's not a lot of extra rope here. Uh, but I tie it off anyways. And uh, it takes maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes before the wind starts to pick up, and I start, I think, like, oh, wow, it's a freshening breeze. Uh, <laughs> And, and then in no time, they, they, these small little waves turn to like three, four foot rollers. And, in, and I'm standing at the front of the boat, and all of a sudden, one of these waves, because when you don't have enough anchor rope, you know, when you, when you anchor, you, you let enough rope out so that your boat can like ride the waves. But when you have a short rope, your boat goes like this, trying to get above, and the waves start crashing over the front of this boat. I'm in the middle of Mille Lacs. There's nobody out near me, no one to call to help for. So these waves start crashing over the front of the boat, and I start freaking out, right? I drop my rod, and I'm trying to pull the anchor up, and I found that the anchor is actually stuck to the bottom of Mille Lacs at this point, on the graveyard. So I can't get it out. It's like stuck. I can't get it. And finally, I decide I run in the back. I grab my knife, and I, I think, you know, my life is worth more than this anchor, <laughs> cut the anchor rope, and I, you know, float to safety. Uh, a couple of things that I learned uh, that day. Number one, if you're going to go out on Mille Lacs, make sure you know where the wind is coming from. Uh, number two, when you drop an anchor, make sure you have enough rope to weather the storm. And number three, uh, when an anchor holds, you can tether yourself to it, and it will hold you. Uh, my wife, when I told her that story, she she maybe thought, you, you shouldn't go fishing ever anymore again. <laughs> but I have, and uh, I learned a lot that day about anchors and wind and rope. Um, this passage in Hebrews ends with one of my favorite images in the whole Bible. Uh, and it's this, this, he says, we have this hope, an anchor for our souls. And I want to kind of, uh, I want to unpack that a little bit this morning, but I think it's a beautiful process that the author uses to get to that point. So I want to sort of walk us through that, um, because we, we find, uh, if you remember last week, I talked about maturity, uh, or the, the author talks about maturity, and he, he, he gives a very strong word to the, to the Hebrews, to the, the recipients of this letter. He it basically tells them that they're not maturing, that they're still drinking milk, they're still nursing, and they should be eating solid food. And it's very straightforward, it's really kind of in your face. And I, after I left yesterday, or last week, I, I, I drove home thinking, gosh, I hope I didn't offend anybody. I hope I didn't offend anybody that didn't need to be offended. I hope that I didn't push too hard. I, I, and I, I wanted to sort of gather you all in and say, friends, I said this stuff because I love you. And because I take my role as a pastor very seriously and my responsibility to hopefully offer uh, something that moves you along and challenges you to grow in faith. And when I started prepping for this morning, I realized that the, the author of Hebrews, I think, had very pa- a very pastoral heart. Because we see in this passage that we read this morning um, that he, he, he says, okay, friends, even though I said this last week, I have this great confidence for you, and, I'm, and, 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 and I, I believe in you, he says at one point, and God won't forget you. And so 
we see this person's heart, which I love. So before we get to the anchor that holds, let's talk a little bit about a few of these things. The first thing I, I think we notice and that I would say is you can trust something when it's hard, or you can trust a hard word when it's born out of love. Um, the book of Proverbs reminds us that wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy, right? Like when we get wounded or when we hear something difficult from a friend, it's better than a lot of nice things that an enemy might say. Uh, the author of Hebrews wants these people to grow. He wants them to mature. He's pushing them along. And more than that, he wants them to hang on to the hope that they have in Christ, he doesn't want them to become lazy or complacent, he, he, but to press on and press in and keep going, to finish what they've started. He wants them to keep loving, to keep working hard in the name of Jesus. So it's not hard for us to deduce that things were getting difficult for this group of people. Right? If you imagine these groups that received these letters, they were small gatherings of Christians, a lot like this, trying to make their way in the world, in this new world of resurrection. So it's not hard for us to figure out. These people were struggling. They were, they were, and some of them were checking out. They were sort of sitting back and, and on the sidelines waiting and hoping, as it were. And he says, no, get back in there. Don't give up. Keep at it. He says at one point, I believe in you, and God won't forget the work that you've been doing. So a hard word, when it's born out of love, can be trusted. I'm wondering if you think back to the last maybe exhortation or difficult thing someone said to you? And what would have changed if you asked the question, do they love me? I think sometimes we hear hard things, and when it comes from a source that, can't, that isn't trusted, those are hard to hear or hard to receive. And sometimes we even just say, no, thank you, thanks, but no thanks. But when somebody says something and challenges you and encourages you to grow, if you ask the question, do they love me? I think it changes everything. Just this last week, I sat in a coffee shop with a friend, and this person said something that was really, really hard for me to hear. I, uh, I acted in a way that didn't empower them, didn't honor them, and they told me. And I sat there thinking, okay, do I trust this person? Do they love me? And I think that they do. I know that they do. And so I said, okay, what do you have? I want to encourage us to be the kinds of people when we know that it's coming from a source of love, when, when something hard that's being said comes from love, we can trust it and we can hear it. So that's the first thing I think that we see in this passage. I think uh, the, 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 the word to the Hebrews not only was a hard word for them, something that was maybe challenging, but it was, it was talking about, it was a reminder that grace is important but that grace should motivate us. That grace uh, should, it should make us move. It should have some effect on us. And we see it in verses 11 and 12 when he says this. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited what was promised. So the author reminds them that grace is for something and that it should do something in us. So I would say it maybe this way. It's both grace and action. It's both grace and action. I think in a lot of times in religious conversations or spiritual conversations, you get these sort of polar opposites. Where on the one side you get grace and on the other side you get works. Right? Maybe you've seen this dialogue before. On, the, on one side you have all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. And on the other side you have, you got to work for it. You got to do something. 
Now, many of you know we're in this beautiful building, and uh, it was built by folks who uh, tried to express something about God in how they did it. And it comes from, uh, historically and traditionally, uh, a period of time that many of us know as the Protestant Reformation. If you've heard about this before, this is Luther. Although we don't have stained glass of Luther, we do have John Ireland and Christopher Columbus. So that's good. Um, But Luther and... (laughs) We're going to get to Columbus. Stick with us, friends. We're going to do that in a couple couple of months here. Um, Because I have a lot to say about that. Uh, but in the 1500s, you have this guy named Martin Luther, and he, and he served the father of what's known as the Protestant Reformation. Now, a little bit of church history to get this. If you back up even further, you, uh, you get the one holy Catholic church, or the one apostolic church. Uh, Constantine, the emperor of Rome in the 300s, says that Rome, uh, uh, Christianity is the official religion of all of the empire. So it becomes the, 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 the religion of the world, essentially. And then you move forward to about 1000 or the turn of the millennium, and you have this thing called the Great Schism for a thousand million Bible points. Does anybody know what year that was? 1094. Good guess. Good guess. 10, good, I think it's 1056. 1056. You have the, the schism between the East and the West, and the East goes to uh, what we know as the Greek or the Eastern Orthodox Church, and then the West is the Roman Catholic Church, right? Then from here... In 1500, 1517, Luther tacks it on the door of the church in Wittenberg, the theses, and he says, essentially begins the Protestant Reformation. Y'all still with me? One of the phrases that becomes known and sort of central to the Protestant Reformation is sola gratia, which essentially means grace alone. In the Catholic Church at that point, you had the, the, the selling of indulgences, so you could go buy an indulgence from the church and then go get wasted, or essentially that's how it worked, right? You'd sort of buy your forgiveness before you needed it, and you had the, this idea of penance, and you had to sort of work these things out, and Luther comes and he says, listen, where is it written that you can buy or work for the love and the grace of God? Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace that you've been saved, not any work of yourselves, it's a work of God. So he says, where is it written? And that begins what we know as the Protestant Reformation. This is where the covenant comes from. So this is all a part of our history, all a part of our story. Now the way that works out is oftentimes you get this pendulum swinged from one side to the other. And if it's over here, it was, you can work and you can do things for your salvation, and you can earn the love of God, or you think maybe you can, and then it's this reaction against that, it's a pendulum swing all the way over to the other side. And it's all grace. It's only grace. It's for, it's, you can't work for your salvation. You can't do those things. And this actually may be a message that some of us need to hear today. You can't work for the love of God. You can't earn it. There's nothing we can do for God to love us any more than God already does. When the son comes back from the, to the father in the, in the story of the prodigal son, what does the father say? But everything I have is already yours. So maybe you're here this morning, and I would just say to you, stop working, stop trying, stop punching the ticket because it's not helping. Grace is already yours. You are already worthy of love and belonging before you do anything. The downside of this pendulum swing, 
when we're all the way over here and it's only grace, all grace, is we, there's this idea of sort of hoping and waiting, right? Christianity becomes this thing where we sort of sit on our hands and we hope and we wait for this thing that is better than what we experience now, which of course is heaven after we die. And we just wait for God to show up and we sort of check out and we sit in our little cloisters and our buildings and with our walls to keep the evil out waiting for God to return. That's, of course, the downside of the pendulum swing all the way over here, where it's only grace. You can't do anything, so you may as well just do nothing. And what the author of Hebrews is saying and makes very clear, and I think Paul says and makes very clear, and Jesus says and makes very clear, and the whole story of God in the Bible says and makes very clear, is that it's because of the grace of God that you now are empowered to do something in the world. It's because of God's grace that you have properly ordered motivation to respond to God's invitation. It's because of grace that you now say, how can I get involved? What God, yes, I want to be involved. How do I respond? It's because of grace. We don't sit and wait because there's nothing to be done. There's lots to be done. It's because of grace and the Holy Spirit empowering us that we pick up a pen and start writing in the story, that we, 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 we pick up the plow and we start planting seeds of hope and grace and forgiveness and love in the world. It's because of grace that we get off of our religious duffs. I was going to say something else in my notes. I decided I'd pen that out. You'd get off your religious rear ends and do something. And it's because of grace that we persevere and we keep going and we remain faithful. That's the whole point that the author's trying to make. Even when it's hard, even when it's lonely, even when it's dark, even when we lost our job, even when we've lost a parent, even when we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, even when we have lost another baby, even when we can't find the light switch, even when our kids are making a mess of their lives, even when our marriage falls apart, even when we see evil and destruction right in front of us, even then, we trust and we remain faithful. Why? Because we have this anchor for our souls, this hope, is what the author says. And this anchor that he's talking about confirms the promise that God has made. So I would say it this way, lastly, we have an anchor that holds. The author of Hebrews says we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. So the question is, what's the hope? Why is it or what is it about Jesus that we can anchor our souls to? What is it about what Jesus did, his life, death, and resurrection, that it's an anchor we can tether ourselves to? What is it? Well, the second half of this verse tells us, verses 13 to 20. The author says that God has made a promise to Abraham way back in the day. So if you remember this story in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. And it's, the promise is twofold. One, I will bless you and, and, and make you a great nation. And then the second part of the promise is, and I will bless the world through you. So there's two parts to the promise to Abraham. One, I'll bless you and make you a great nation. And two, I will bless the world through you. Do you remember when you were a kid and you, used to, you, were, you were making a promise to somebody and you would say, I swear by my... Do you remember this? What would you swear by? My mother's grave. I would swear by my, you know... Any, any number of things, right? We swear by, I swear by, you know, everything holy. I swear on da-da-da-da-da. When we say something and we want it to be, like, legitimate, it's a promise that we're making, we, we promise it on the power or the authority of something other than ourselves, right? I swear by something else, some other higher thing. And what, essentially what the author says is, 
There is no other name higher than, there is no other power bigger than the name of and the person of God. And so when God swears this promise to Abraham, he swears it by himself. Which essentially is to say, if this doesn't come true, if this promise is not made good, then you can drag my name through the mud. Everything that I stand for, everything that you know about me is rendered useless because I have not made good on this promise, is essentially what he says. I swear it by my own name. So if you go back to Jesus when he shows up, we find that, and we know this to be true, the first part of the promise that God made to Abraham, has it been fulfilled? Yeah, there's millions of Jewish people all throughout history. God has made this nation great through Abraham. But when Jesus shows up, if you had asked, has God blessed and redeemed and restored and healed the world through Israel yet? (laughs) No, if you know the story. The answer was absolutely not. The world was a mess. Rome had occupied Israel. They'd been enslaved for hundreds and hundreds of years. So when Jesus shows up, Essentially, this is why it's so important for the writer of of Matthew, Matthew the gospel writer, to to show that Jesus was Jewish, that he came from this long line all the way back to Abraham. Because essentially, if Jesus is from the line of Israel, if Jesus is the Son of God and takes upon himself the sin of the world and beats death and in resurrection, then God has made good on God's promise. The original promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless you, make you a great nation, and I will heal and restore and redeem the world through Israel. And if Jesus is who scriptures and history says he is, then God has made good on this promise. And when Jesus dies and resurrects from the dead and becomes this high priest, as the author says, who's now in the presence of God on our behalf, then we can anchor ourselves to that because that will hold We can tether our lives and our souls to that. So when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, when we want to give up, when we can't find the light switch, when it's dark all around us, when the answers seem to be unattainable and only questions come, when we find evil and darkness and death all around us, when we want to cash it out, the author says, we have this hope that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to heal and restore and redeem the world. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father as we speak. So you can anchor yourself to that promise. That is our hope. So maybe I would close by asking you this this morning. What have you anchored your life to? It only takes a matter of time before we run into something that's difficult, hard, dark, destructive, evil, It only takes a matter of time before we come to the end of ourselves and realize that I can't actually fix it. I can't actually make it turn around. And every single one of us, whether we know it or not, I would submit to you, tie ourselves to some idea, some hope, something to try to make sense of the lives that we live. And I would just ask you, what have you anchored your life to? Is it a job? Is it a person? Is it your own strength and ability and power? Is it some, what do you turn to? And the author of Hebrews encourages, invites, exhorts, and I would do the same this morning, to anchor your life, to tether yourself to this hope 
which is that God has made good on God's promise and that the healing and the restoration and the hope of the world is in the resurrection of Jesus. And so I'd offer that to you this morning for your consideration. Maybe you're here and you don't know. You're not sure. That's, what this commu- that's the anchor at the center of this community, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, which is why we come to this table. These simple elements of bread and wine. Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he said, took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And he took a cup and he blessed it, and he said, this is a cup in my blood, a new covenant for you, for the world. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so we come and we take bread and we dip it in a cup, not because it's magical or mysterious, but because it's elemental and it's a reminder that God's grace and God's presence is for you today. So wherever you've come from today, we want to invite you to come and receive that, to experience that for the hundredth time, for the first time. Now, in just a moment, the kids are going to line up at the back of the sanctuary here, and when they come up, uh, we give them honey, and I say, may the word of God be like honey on your lips. My nephew has been a coming to awaken, and recently his dad, uh, or mom, I can't remember, asked him, Basil, what does Micah say when he gives you the honey? And he goes, I don't know, I think it's in Spanish. Hadley, my 11-year-old, wrote it, wrote it out. If it were in Spanish, it would be que el miel sea como... Uh, so I don't say it in Spanish. It's... <laughs> but may the word of God be like honey on your lips. Um, so I'm going to invite the band to come, and they're going to lead us in a song. Uh, this is a song that uh, has been sung, as it were, for, <laughs> for thousands of years, uh, the Apostles' Creed. And we'll sing that as the kids come and receive honey. Uh, When they are done, this was a little bit of a mysterious, uh, didn't quite get this last time. When they're done uh, receiving honey, they'll go downstairs. And adults, you're welcome to come and receive communion. We'll just have two lines. You can come right down the center and go back to your chairs that way. Uh, Gluten-free, if that's you, is right over here. Uh, So we'll invite you to that. But let me offer a word of prayer, and then the kids will come. We'll sing as they receive the honey, and then you're welcome to come and receive communion. So pray with me. God, as we gather in this place this morning, uh, we do so with so many things swirling around. Um, The beauty of spring and the hope of spring, new life pushing through the ground, uh, but also an earthquake that's devastated uh, the lives of many. And so we come reminding ourselves and hoping that you might remind us of who we are, that we are loved, that you are good, that you have made good on your promise to heal and restore and redeem the world, and that we are invited into it. And so God, as we receive this morning this bread and this cup, may it go deep inside of us and become a part of who we are that the body broken and the blood poured out is just the way it works. And that as we offer ourselves 
as Eucharist to the world, that you would fill us up, that you would repair our bodies and pour back into our souls what we need. The reminders and the hope and the encouragement that you are still good, that you are still who you say you are, and you are still redeeming and restoring and healing, and that one day, God, all will be made right. That everything that is broken will be fixed. And all who say yes, who follow, who receive the gift of grace in Jesus may be found in you. So we receive that today. My friends, if you need prayer for anything, you'd like someone to pray with, uh, again, the prayer team will be available after the gathering. Um, Stay as long as you like. We don't have to tear down anything. I love to say that. (laughs) Uh, There's space downstairs as well with chairs and tables to hang out, so I invite you to do that. May you know that the grace of God is for you today, that it's already yours. And may the word of God be like honey on your lips. Grace and peace. Love you guys. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.